Well, good morning, everyone. And I cannot say welcome to Gospel Assembly Church Mississauga because I'm streaming from home. Uh, I want to welcome you to our, our online streaming this morning. And if you have not visited us before, um, we are from the Gospel Assembly Church in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. This morning, I'm streaming from home because um, I've decided, before the government tells us anything, uh, to lock the church down for 14 days uh, because we have had a case of COVID, a few cases of COVID existing in the church. Some of our people are still sick. God was good, but John has not deteriorated. As a matter of fact, he feels he is improving. And so that is a wonderful thing. Anyways, we're glad that you're here today and we want to spend some time uh, in the Word of God as best as we could. Uh, but before we do that, you know, with my voice, I will attempt uh, for us to, uh, to sing a chorus. And um, the one that comes into my mind is, I want the Lord to have his way with me. Um, I would like us to, instead of saying, I want the Lord to have his way, I would like us to sing, I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. Um, if I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. And so join me, excuse my horsey voice, uh, but you can receive a blessing and get your hearts prepared as we enter into this service. Let's sing. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I want you, Lord, to have your way with me. Let's all pray. Father, we thank you again this morning that we can come before you and uh, solicit your help, request that you be with our, our service today. But in a particular way, Lord, we want to pray for Brother John and Brother Terry, Nadine, and any other one of your children that's infected by this virus. Lord, we appreciate your goodness. We appreciate your mercies. And we thank you, Lord, for helping everyone that's affected. And we pray, Lord, that you'll keep the church, the rest of the saints in the church, uh, safe from this 
this uh, pandemic, Lord, this uh, pestilence, this judgment that you brought in the land. Lord, let your saints receive just a chastening in their lives. But Father, uh, protect them and turn our lives closer to thee through all of this experience, Father. We ask you to bless our service today and remember every other assembly around the world that might be streaming, that you'll be with them. Touch our minds and help us, we pray, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. We praise, we give you honor and glory. Amen and amen. This morning, I was thinking about the overall plan of God. And when I'm thinking, I would like to go far back as possible uh, to Genesis. And then we stop. Like you see, the Bible has up to Genesis. And then we stop there. But there was God existing, and that's a human terminology, prior to Genesis. So whatever was there before Genesis... We know that when Genesis, uh, when Moses records whatever was passed on to him, uh, he records the recreation of the earth. When I say recreation, it was null and void and without shape. And then the Lord recreated or reassembled or reorganized uh, the nature of the earth. So the waters were separated from the land. And you know, uh, there is an account in Genesis of seven days of God's creation, seven days of God's creation. Prior to that, uh, I am thinking uh, also that when the Lord created man and he placed Adam in the garden with Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. That is to fill again that which was once filled. And I don't know, I cannot tell you what existed prior to that, But I know if God is eternal and he dwells in eternity, and eternity is that uh, having that divine revelation without the distinction of present, past, or future. We can say God was or God is. Uh, God is always there. He is in the past. He is present. He is in the future. And it might sound like incorrect English vocabulary, but that's God. And whatever existed before Genesis, only God knows. And if he wanted us to know, he would have told us. But I'm looking at Genesis and starting from Genesis, man was created. Then man fell. Um, Adam and Eve were, were, were there and they fell into sin. But God had a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, he had a redemptive plan for man's recovery. And so when I'm thinking, uh, you look through Genesis and we can come through from uh, Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the way the children of Israel in their captivity in Egypt. And then we get Moses coming on the scene. And then we go through the judges. And then we have all the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then we go through the, the minor prophets. They call Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel major prophets. And they called a Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, some of these, uh, Malachi, some of these other prophets, minor prophets. But you look at this panoramic view of what we know and what we are exposed to. So creation, man's fall, uh, the 
the the entire uh, journey through uh, the Old Testament, coming all the way down to the New Testament, where God eventually, uh, to an apostate world, sent his son, Jesus, our Lord. And then comes the process of salvation. And you and I are a small, a minute part of God's uh, plan of redemption. And so we saw uh, in, the old, in the New Testament how Jesus was born of a virgin. There was a reason why he was born of a virgin. But then he was born of a virgin. He lived a regular life on this earth. And then he died uh, as a substitute for man because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that was what God told Adam, the day you eat of the fruit, uh, you shall die. And man did not die physically right away, but man died in his God consciousness. His spirit and his soul went into uh, uh, death, death, spiritual death. And that is what Paul meant when he says, you who were dead in trespasses and sin had God quickened. And so to pull all of this together, uh, we look at Jesus coming on the scene and then uh, he died. He lived to three and a half years as history records. He died for man's sin. He got resurrected from the dead. He went back into heaven, sent down the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And you and I are privileged to have the church got started. The New Testament church got started on the day of Pentecost. But the work of God existed prior to that. The Holy Ghost existed prior to that. And so to look at all of this and then coming in, uh, here we are today, a part of the church age. We're not in the New Testament church per se, but we are a part of that which started on the day of Pentecost and is existing unto this day. And then, what happens beyond that? Well, I'll tell you what happens. As far as we're concerned, they, the world must come to a climax. The church, uh, God, Jesus first came to visit the Jews. They rejected him. He turned to the Gentiles, and that's where you and I are enjoying the benefits of salvation because the Jews rejected Christ. And when they rejected their Messiah, who they prayed for such a long time, uh, then uh, we were given the privilege. Uh, Paul writes and he says, if the rejection of the Jews uh, be the salvation of the, the Gentiles, he says, much more the restoration of the Jews will be the resurrection of the dead. And this is important that we understand that. And so us Gentiles are enjoying uh, this privilege God has given to us, and that is why it is important that we maintain our relationship and we follow the principles of God's word as much as we could. And so, uh, where does it go? Well, the Lord must return uh, to rapture his bride and then return to the earth to establish the kingdom. So, let me look at this in general. First of all, we go back to Genesis. We see uh, heaven and earth, God created a heaven and the earth, but the earth uh, seemed was void and without form. God redesigned that, placed man in the garden, and uh, coming down through the years, all through the New Old Testament, right up to the New Testament, Jesus comes, Jesus starts, uh, he preaches to his disciples, he died for the sins of the world, 
He sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. The church got started. Here we are today looking for the return of Jesus and the establishment of God's kingdom on, in this world. Uh, that is, for a thousand years, we are told that God will take uh, with a bright company of 144,000 overcomers and he will bring this world, which was uh, completely in chaos, spiritually speaking, back to a restoration and a place where uh, the kingdom of God would be established here on this earth. I believe, and this is my personal opinion, that when the thousand years is done, uh, what happens beyond that is beyond my comprehension. But I believe there, as much as there was so much that existed and happened prior to Genesis, there'll be so much that exists beyond the book of Revelation. And that is why I am convinced that the 144,000 would not be spending the rest of eternity here on this earth, but they would go out into uh, the galaxies, endless galaxies, and whatever they have uh, to do, I would not like to speculate too much. I'd like to speculate. But this morning, I'm turning here to uh, the book of Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing here, and he's making some statement. Uh, in chapter 2, this church was already a church on its way uh, to backsliding and getting becoming apostate and trying to... Uh, trying to incorporate in, in, in the church their own principles of operation. But here is what Paul said. After God had prepared Paul and set him out and he started this church and now he's writing. And he writes here, he says, verse 6 in uh, chapter 2. I would like to back up a little. He says, and, bro- and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, Paul is telling the church, even though he was a qualified man, academically qualified, uh, now he was being prepared by God and already a great work was done in his life. He's letting this church know that he's not coming with the excellency of speech. In other words, it's not man's wisdom that will build this church. Uh, And uh, this is the problem, seemingly, that existed in Corinth. Corinth was an exalted carnal church that overemphasized the importance of education and knowledge, human knowledge. But you see, even though Israel was destroyed for a lack of knowledge, that is, knowledge necessary to save them, knowledge can puff us up. And that is what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He's trying to say that human wisdom uh, would not help them here. And so if you back up a little in chapter 1, he says in verse 27, uh, verse 26, Brother Goodwin used to use this chapter, this uh, particular verse. And he says, for you see your calling, brethren, uh, brethren, how that not many, how that not many wise men, after the flesh, that is, with academic qualifications. And Brother Goodwin used to say, if it was not any wise men, Paul would have been excluded. But God called Paul and he had him prepared for this job 
of preaching the gospel. And so in the preparation process that God had to deal with Paul, he had to become, uh, he had to empty out what the world had taught him and not depend on that to preach the gospel. It's not by human might, nor human genius, nor by human excellence, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so he says here, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And many of us, if we look back at the scriptures, we'll say, oh, you mean that is why he chose John the Baptist and sent him into the wilderness to get trained? Yes, Uh, that is exactly the reason. And is that the reason why when Moses, who was already trained, had to spend 40 years in the wilderness for God to undo what Egypt had placed in his heart? Yes, because human wisdom can get in the way of the Spirit of God and the power of God. A lot of times, human mechanics and human wisdom uh, would try to, to manufacture something that looks like the Spirit of God. We have done that in religion. I'm Pentecostal down to the bone. And so I've, know, I've known in my early days how to get up in church and how to build up a hype in the people and get the stir of the people up and get everyone to be shouting and everyone to say amen and hallelujah. And they think the Spirit of God is doing that. But really, it's my human uh, language and my human uh, emotionalism and my human a genius that can get in the way and try to see if I can stimulate an audience. Uh, so the congregation becomes an audience while I'm performing for it. And they join in that carnal worship. We can't do that. We can't worship God in the flesh. And so Corinth seemingly was worshiping the Lord in the flesh. They were emphasizing the importance of religious understanding and the religious education Illumination, illumination of the mind and the heart was replaced by education, uh, understanding scripture. And that is why when Jesus came uh, 2,000 years ago, he did not find prophets in the temple. He found lawyers. He found doctors of the law. And those were the men because the more we get educated and put that in front of God, Now, Brother Singh, are you saying education is bad? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when you depend on human genius instead of depending on the Spirit of God, when you depend on your gimmicks rather than prayer and waiting on God and getting an understanding from God, then the flesh comes into the service. And when the flesh comes, you can't please God. So Paul says here, God has not chosen, verse 27, chapter 1, the, but God has chosen, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Uh, base things like base, like a baseboard, God has chosen of the world. The things which are despised had God chosen. Yea, the things which are zero has God chosen to bring to naught, to bring to zero the things that are, are, that are. Why has God done this? So man wouldn't glory in his own flesh. I wouldn't say, well, I build a church. 
or like Nebuchadnezzar is not this great Babylon I built. A human ego can get in the way and hinder the work of God. And so uh, when we look here, Paul is saying, he closes off this first chapter in saying, but we are giving praise to him. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God Christ Jesus of God is made unto us wisdom. When you encourage, when you have a Christ in your life, when you have the Lord Jesus in your life, he becomes your wisdom. He becomes your righteousness. He becomes your sanctification and redemption. Uh, that is what Jesus becomes. He's everything. And that is why Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable unto his death. Now in chapter 2, Paul says, verse, uh, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, even though he was a learned man, even though he was a scholar, even though he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he says, when I came unto you, I did not come in the flesh with my human wisdom and my human background and my degree. That was important, but that was not to hold priority. And that is what Paul is saying. He says, I came not to you with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, that is man's wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony or the mystery of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he went on here, he says, and I was with you in weakness. In other words, he could have gotten there and give a nice powerful talk that gave you goosebumps using human wisdom and big words and all of that. He says, no, I came in weakness. I became weak because I wanted Christ to be strong. I became weak because I wanted the Holy Ghost to be strong. And he goes on, he says, in weakness and in the fear of God, that is, and in much trembling. See, sometimes a man of God, and I experience this a lot of times, God has allowed me to remain simple and humble. Uh, there's nothing you can say that would make me proud and exalted. My years of serving God has busted me in and God has allowed thorns in my flesh to keep me humble. I can't point a self-righteous finger at anyone because God has dealt with that attitude that I once had, an arrogant, ignorant attitude. Oh, I preach a straight gospel and that will always be the case. But Paul says here, but I was in weakness and fear and my trembling. And my speech and my preaching, which uh, uh, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. It was not my vocabulary. And you know, sometimes I listen to my own messages and sometimes I say to myself, as I'm listening to my own message, why did you use that word? Why did you mispronounce this word? Why did you skip over and cut your sentence? And I'm examining myself, and I know why I did, and I know why God allowed me to do that, is to keep me at a certain level, unless a lot of people praise me and not praise God. Uh, we, if you, if you understand who I am, 
you would know how important it is to follow the teachings that I place on the internet or in the local assembly. Uh, the messages I preach are not mine. They are God's. And they're there to strengthen you if you're interested in spiritual growth and maturity. And Paul went on here, he says, he says, uh, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit. That is what Paul says was most important. Paul understood what Zechariah meant when that he recorded, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so he goes on here. He says, how be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Uh, those that are complete, those that are called of God, those that are chosen of God would receive. I'm preaching one message but those that are called of God would receive more benefits spiritually than those that are not called of God. I can be preaching a message because the Holy Ghost is helping me to preach that message. And while I'm preaching, there are two individuals. One is listening with their hearts, with their hearts, sorry, and receiving the benefit of that message. The other one is listening with his, with his head and when he listens to his head, if I say anything that contradicts tradition, he already closes me off. As long as a person is listening with their head, they'll be critical and condemning. They'll hear the grammatical error. They'll hear the wrong pronunciation. And that is why sometimes it is, I leave those things there because it is necessary uh, for us to be able to differentiate between the elect and the non-elect. And Paul went on here. He says, how be it we speak wisdom? Among who? Among those that are called of God, the perfect. Not the wisdom of this world, nor the wisdom that the great guys of this world are teaching. Who are the princes of this world? But somebody says, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Brother So-and-so, Reverend So-and-so said. Well, before I listen to what Reverend So-and-so said, I want to ask myself, is Reverend so-and-so having his doctrine right? Is he a part of the center of the work of God? Is he really a part of the body of Christ? See, I don't believe the body of Christ is mystical. Here a little and there a little. And we sing a song out there. I don't care what church you belong to. Well, I do care. If you belong to the wrong church, you will die lost. And I do concern myself with that. I'm here in the city and I've gone to uh, visit a few times other churches. And I remember one time we went in, Brother Sam and I went into a charismatic church. And while we were there in this charismatic church, uh, we went, we said, let's visit somebody's church. So we went and we were in the back, big building. We were in the back pew of the church. And they were having a prayer meeting and sisters and brothers were up in front uh, worshiping and singing songs and speaking in tongues and all of that. They were carrying on up there. So we sat at the back and we wanted to uh, just observe what is doing. And because uh, we are respectful for what people are doing, and I like to be respectful. If I am uh, close by and I'm seeing Hindus are doing something, 
Now, it, I don't have to believe in the Hindu religion, but I will be respectful. If I see Muslims are doing something, I will be respectful. I'm not a brawler. I'm not a disruptor. I'm not someone that will uh, disrupt something that's going on. And so Brother Sam and I, uh, we stood we sat, sat, stood at the back while they were standing. We stood and I closed my eyes and I'm praying. And suddenly I felt a hand on my head. Somebody from the congregation, maybe the pastor, I don't know who it was, ran down to the back and laid his hand on my head. And so I just felt a hand on my head and I opened my eyes and I saw this man, his hand was on my head and speaking away in tongues. Now I respect you. I'm good, but not gullible. I'm friendly, but not familiar. I'm close, but don't want to be intimate. And so I opened my eyes and saw this man praying away in tongues and his hand on my head. Now I'm a visitor. So what I did, and I don't know, maybe I did the wrong thing, but this is me. I grabbed his hand and took it off my head. And then he opened his eyes and tongues did cease. You know, the Bible says tongues shall cease. Well, that day tongues ceased. And I looked at him and I said, don't ever do that again. So we don't do that in our church. We respect visitors. We might even have to adjust the service to suit the visitors that are there. Uh, when somebody come in and they're brand new and we don't know if they're Hindu, Muslim, uh, atheist or whatever, we adjust the service that we don't go overboard on emotionalism and carry, get carried away and affect that individual. So we are using wisdom and Paul is saying here, he says the princes of this world, they have a wisdom that they use out there and a lot of us are ministers. We'd like to go to this college, this Christian college that believes 80% different than what we believe and get a degree or something from them and, and then come out and tell people we are so and so. Well, you know what? If God is to use you, he'd have to take you through a process and empty you out of that junk. Had the princes of this world understood and had a revelation of who Christ was, they would not have crucified him. And that is what Paul is saying. He was once a prince of this world. And he says, had the princes of this world, uh, the, the, of this world, they come to naught. He says, but we speak wisdom. Uh, verse 7, we speak wisdom, the wisdom of God. He says, in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, before the world was created, let me say here is where creation was. So here is creation. Before creation got started, God had a plan. He had a redemptive plan. He, he knew how man was going to be created. He knew Adam by himself would not sin. He created the weaker vessel <clears throat> to activate this plan. And it's like gold that is raw. You find a piece of gold that's raw and you want to make a jewelry out of it. You'd have to take that raw gold and you'd have to pressure it by fire and melt it. And you'd have to have a mold where you'll pour that gold in. And then a blacksmith would, a goldsmith would beat that into its proper shape and shape it to form that piece of jewelry. 
Well, God, before the foundation of the world, God has a plan. And he has a plan beyond this world. Uh, with Revelation 22, does not end it all for us. And so forever, 144,000 overcomers are sitting on 144,000 thrones governing the world. No, sir. You know, all it needs to change this world and make it into the paradise of God is one overcomer with immortality. But God has a process of time, and that is a thousand years to you and I is a thousand years. A thousand years to an overcomer is but a wink of the eye. So God is like that. He sees today, he sees tomorrow. And so Paul is writing here about this that exists. He says, uh, which um, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It is a mystery. A mystery means something that's not easily understood. Iniquity is a mystery. The kingdom of God is a mystery. There are things that are mystery. The Godhead is called the mystery of the Godhead. And the mystery of iniquity we see existing. Well, God's eternal plan is a mystery. It means it's not meant to be easily understood. It takes an illumination. It takes the wisdom of God to give you a slight comprehension as to what the kingdom is going to be. And Paul went on here. He says this mystery. Let me read that again. For we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God the Father ordained before the world to give us glory, unto our glory. You see, uh, Paul, I'm holding my finger here and I'm turning back to uh, Romans, the uh, second chapter. And Paul is making a statement here, just a verse or two. He says, um, verse 7, Romans chapter 2, verse 7. He says, to them, that's you and I and everyone else who can do it, who by patient continuance... And that is something I find very hard for people to do. When I was 12 years old, I accepted the Lord. And he was still my Lord when I was 13. And when I was 15, he was still my Lord. And when I was 20, he was still my Lord. When we got married, I was 22. January was 20. When, we turned, when I turned 25, he was still my Lord. When I turned 35, he was still my Lord. I have not quit. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing. When you start a project, don't leave it half finished. Complete it. It's a good characteristic in your life. You start reading a book. If it's uh, something that would help you, finish the book. You start a project, don't leave it half done. Finish it. It develops strong character. Don't be a procrastinator. Leave it off. Somebody says, uh, why uh, um, don't put it off? Why put off for tomorrow what you can do today? Well, another person says, why put off for tomorrow what you can put off for next month? Those are both aspects that we need to consider. And we need to do what we can. Solomon said that. He says, whatsoever thine hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. Do it fervently. 
And uh, this morning as I was getting dressed for church, I was thinking about uh, various aspects of my life. And I'm thinking, why does God have me do these things? Why do I comb my hair before I go to bed? Uh, why do I uh, make sure that uh, in the morning uh, or any time of the day, I'm fresh? Uh, why do I wear a pair of socks and make sure that when I take it off, it's not stinky? Uh, why, why do I do these things? Why do I make sure when I squeeze the tube of a, col of a toothpaste, I squeeze it from one end? When, when I take peanut butter off a peanut butter jar, there's a way I take it out that you don't think it's somebody slopping it up. Why do I do that? Why I peel my banana from one end and everyone else seemingly peels, peels it from the bottom? Why do I do these things? Why do I make sure that my breath is fresh and certain things I do are meticulous? Why do I dress? Here I am. I'm not going out of this house today, but I'm dressed for church because this is a habit that I've developed. I am dressed for church. And that is why when I tell you to follow certain principles, I would never tell you to do what I'm not doing myself. I develop a mentality to do things a certain way. I don't expect everyone to do that, but there are things that I do that's a little different. But I continue. I serve God today and I will serve God tomorrow. If I love something I have learned to develop to a very great extent a love that is like God's love to a very great extent, but just a drop in the ocean. A love that is constant. I don't love you today because you're nice and hate you tomorrow because you're obnoxious. I don't love you because you're walking straight, but tomorrow when you fall, I hate you. No, I love you. Uh, this morning, I spent some time and my greatest concern were for people that I'm thinking of uh, that uh, may bring tears to my eyes because men that should close off their life. And I'm looking far for some of this, that individuals would be around me closing off their lives and closing off their old age period in victory and with sobriety and soberness. It is important that what we start we continue. And Paul is writing, he said to them who by patient continuance in well-doing, you don't give up. So when I was 35, did I give up? No. When I was 40, did I give up? No. When I was 60, and it was a big birthday for me, uh, did I give up? No. Now I'm 70. And in uh, two months... Uh, in a month, we'll be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, married for 50 years. And the 50th anniversary. Are we enjoying a life of luxury and fun and frolic? No, we've gone through a lot of lives. A lot of hardships in life. But you know, when I'm thinking of some of the, the valleys we went through, we appreciate the mountains that we were able to get out of the valley and climb up on the mountains. But we would not be where we are today had it not been for a patient continuance in well-doing. We don't start and stop and quit. No, faithfulness, persistency, and consistency 
is absolutely necessary if you're to be a Christian. Don't start today and backslide tomorrow. Recover yourself from such a snare of the devil. And Paul went on, he says, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing, they're seeking for something. And this is the glory that Paul is talking about, that we'll receive a glory that, that a glory that covers, a Shekinah glory that covers yourself in the coming kingdom. He says a glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. Uh, these are things I'm seeking for. Am I there yet? No, like Paul, I've, I've not, not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. Uh, do you have a life easy? No, I have hardships and that's what makes me more persistent to my goals. I have a goal set before me. And because of time running out on me here today, I will rush through this again. Uh, here in, in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and Paul says, he says, uh, uh, which, uh, what we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the, before the world unto our glory. That is the glory we are seeking which none of the princes of this world knew. They are things that the educated, whether it's the religiously educated or the, the regular secular educated individual, they, the knowledge that we are seeking after is the knowledge of the heart. None of these educated men might even have a conversion experience. And it goes on here, not that education is bad. There are men that are educated that are wonderful men in the work of God. And we're glad for that. We're glad that Paul was educated. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having the epistles that he wrote. Uh, but he goes on here. He saw it has, for the, had they known it, had these men in Jesus' day knew it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But you see the Pharisees, when they sat there, and the Annas and the Caiaphas says, these renowned men, the doctors and lawyers of that day, when they looked at Jesus, ah, who is this? Carpenter's son. <laughs> we know him. He has no credibility among us. We're the elite. He's of the offscarring of the earth. His mama got pregnant before, she was, uh, before he was born. She, he was a bastard child. Well, your, your view of who I am and your view of whoever your minister is Depends a whole lot upon a revelation or an illumination from God. When Jesus said to his disciples, whom do men say that I am? Who you think the men were that was condemning Jesus? It was the elite, the doctors and lawyers of that time. And I wouldn't say what Jesus said, but whom do you say that I am? That is important. Whom do you say that your pastor is? That is important. And it went on here. Uh, Paul went on, he says, um, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and this is very important, human eye has not seen, nor human ear perceived carnally. Neither has it entered into the heart of man that's not converted, and even the ones that are converted, the things which God had prepared for them that love him. So how would we know? Here is how we know. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. And that is why, my friends, as you're listening to me, 
If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you will backslide. You will not understand what I'm talking about. The reason why you will criticize me because I said something existed before Genesis is because you need the Spirit of God in your life. The reason why you'll criticize me for telling you that something will continue uh, beyond your comprehension, uh, beyond revelation, is because you need a illumination from God in your mind. Blind people do not see. And if you do not understand my gospel, it is because the God of this world has blinded your eyes, like they did to the gospel that Paul preached, like they did to the message that Isaiah preached or any other man of God today or in the past has preached. God must touch the eyes of your understanding. But there are things that I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it even slightly entered into the heart of man uh, for comprehension, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. If it is the Spirit of God that touched my mind, to see that something existed before Genesis and something will exist beyond our revelation, then you would need the Spirit of God to touch your mind to perceive what I'm saying. So here in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, second chapter 1 Corinthians and verse 10, but God had revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For what does the Spirit do? The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, the deep things of God. Uh, so it says in verse 14, uh, it says, But the natural man, you without the Holy Ghost, whether you're faking the Holy Ghost, faking speaking in tongues, if you don't have a conversion and the Holy Ghost has not touched your eyes, you wouldn't see what I'm saying. What I'm saying is almost like the parables that Jesus preached. It'll be too deep for a carnal mind to understand. The carnal mind cannot serve God. We need to understand God by having God touch our minds that we develop a spiritual mindset. The flesh cannot serve God. Hold your finger in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 2 and we go back to Romans. And today, uh, that's all we will do of uh, Corinthians and Romans. And uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, Paul is writing here to the Romans and he's talking how we need the Holy Ghost in our lives. Uh, in order for me to keep the commandments of God, I need the Spirit of God. In order for me not to sin, I need the Holy Ghost to help me. In order for me not to uh, rebel against God, I need the Holy Ghost to help me. And this is important for us to understand. And Paul is telling you that the law is such a wonderful thing in chapter 7. But I am miserable because I don't have the Spirit of God in me. So here in the chapter 7, he comes on. He said in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, I am wretched without the Spirit. The brother is saying, I never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. What do you mean uh, I'm, um, the Holy Ghost uh, needs to help me? Well, if you never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then pray that God give you it. Don't ever fake it. If you have never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, pray that God leads you, that God sends the Spirit to help you. But don't ever fake it. Don't have anyone tell you what to say while you're reaching out for the Holy Ghost. 
If God does not fill you, but His Spirit is directing your life, let the Spirit direct you, and in time, God will fill you. But never stop seeking God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and this experience they had on the day of Pentecost. And so here in, in, um, in Romans the 8th chapter, Romans the 8th chapter, it says, There is therefore now uh, no condemnation to them that are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Without a Spirit of God, uh, you will be walking in the flesh. You will have your own agenda. You wouldn't care what God wants for you. You will just care what would satisfy your flesh. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul went on here. He says, for what the law could not do, verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh, Romans 8, verse 3, he says, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The bottom line is God wants you to be righteous. He wants us to keep the law, but we can't do it because we are weak. We we have a tendency to do contrary. We have a tendency to let our mind be filled with junk. But God wants to help us. But here is the, the secret of it all. Not only do we need the Holy Ghost to understand the mysteries of God, we need the Holy Ghost to help us to live for God. The necessity of the Holy Ghost in our lives are, is necessary. We need the Spirit of God. So don't fake the baptism. Just depend on God to lead you. And like he did to Simeon and he did to the men of the Old Testament, he can also do to you, for you. And Paul went on here, he says that the righteousness which is in the law who, who would be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. You see, we need the spirit. And so Paul says here, without the spirit touching your mind and helping you to understand, he'll sit in church like a dud. And when you don't have the spirit touching your mind, you're a dud. I never checked the meaning of the word dud, but it looks like somebody that has no life spiritually. Uh, that's what I mean, a spiritual dud. That's what I should say. Without the Spirit of God, you can only work in the flesh, and the flesh won't be able to take you far. And so I've got six minutes to go, and let's move on here. It says, um, For they that are in the flesh, verse 5, Romans 8, cannot do mind the things of the flesh. When you're in the flesh, and you start your day in the flesh, all you're thinking about is food, carnal things, games, fun, frolic, stores. You're thinking of all of these carnal things. Do you sit down and just say, well, today I want to pray and spend the day before God? When the Spirit touches your mind, you want to walk in the Spirit and live for God. But if you're carnal, you wouldn't understand a single thing I'm telling you today. Because you're carnal. You would not be able to continuously follow the Lord. Uh, to them who by patient continues, you won't be able to do that. It says here uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
But to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death. All you're doing when you let the devil play with your mind and give you carnal thoughts and all you're thinking of accomplishing is carnal things today. What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? How are we going to have fun today? Is there any store open up that I waste my time? You didn't find time to pray, but you find time to build up the flesh. You know what? You're a candidate for eternal damnation. You're a candidate for death and destruction. You see, we blame the devil for our incompetence when we yield to really the drives of our own flesh. Don't blame the devil for your lack of commitment. Blame yourself. Go in front of the mirror and watch it with mirror and says you are responsible for the death that exists in your spiritual life. See, what we sow, we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. We sow to the spirit, we shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Whom ye we yield ourselves to obey, his servants we are to whom we obey. It is time to live according to the demands of the spirit. And Paul went on here, he says, verse 7, because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is, uh, no, verse 6, for the carnal mind, uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The reason why you don't have life in Christ and peace is because your mind is too carnal. You're, you're, you're frustrating yourself. You're tired every day. You want to find something else to fill the vacuum in your life. Listen. Jesus should fill the vacuum in your life. You know what sends individuals to drinking? A lack of God in their lives because they're using carnal methods to serve God. You know what sends somebody on drugs? It's because they can't find peace. But I tell you, if you get a good dose of salvation, you'll find peace. And Paul is going on here. He says, uh, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2. I want to finish this off here. And Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 2. He says... Um, he says, but the natural minded man, verse 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It is impossible to understand what I'm telling you today if your mind is carnal. And that is why I say, before the service starts, get your mind ready. Uh, you see me? I'm prepared for one hour service, fully dressed. And because I want to set an example, uh, as much as I can set, and Paul went on here, he says, um, he says, the natural-minded man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, for their foolishness unto him, oh, that brother singing, he's, uh, he is stupid, don't worry with him, he is he's talking nonsense. <laughs> well, you know why? Because you're a carnal mind, you can't understand spiritual things. So don't try to understand when I tell you things, and don't try to sit down and figure me out. You got to be spiritual to figure me out. So don't try, sit down and say, don't worry with that, Desmond. <laughs> don't worry with yourself. That's important for you to know. He says, for their spiritually discerned, verse 15, 
He that is a, a he, but he that is spiritual, that is God, judgeth all things, yet he is judged of no man. But who hath known the mind of Christ, Paul says. He says that he may instruct him. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Today it is nice talking to you. And I pray that God will let these words sink down in our hearts. If ever there was a time to seek after God and walk in the spirit, it is now in these days that we are living in. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for this privilege you have given to us that I can proclaim the word of God as best as I can. Lord, I have not seen nor ear heard. There are things beyond our understanding, but Lord, we'll never be able to receive and understand these mysteries if our minds are carnal. Help us, O God, let your spirit touch our minds and help us to be spiritually minded. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask it, and for his sake, amen and amen.